Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring Out the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. I'm excited to be actually back in Kansas recording this podcast for the first time in a couple of years. And JT, it's bowl season. You've been watching any of these bowl games so far? I have not yet. There's nothing that's really piqued my interest. I caught a couple <laughs> seconds of the UTEP game, and that was really about it. I just, nothing really just stood out like, oh my God, I got to watch this bowl game. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And so Kansas State, of course, playing LSU in the Texas Bowl January 4th. It's really, I think it's the last important bowl game, right? So uh, it's, <laughs> well, it is so the on... <laughs> third to last college football game, period. Yeah, so yeah. if you include the FCS championship game. <laughs> there you go. So we brought on Brody Miller of The Athletic. He's the LSU beat writer. Brody, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. First of all, I just want to say, I think we all want to send a big thank you to LSU for getting that sixth win and become bill eligible because, you know, in theory, if they don't get that, then Texas might've been bill eligible with its five wins. Ooh. So <laughs> I think all of us in the big 12 appreciate that. I'll, I'll let them know. Yeah. Like you, you help them avoid that. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so LSU is in there and I think, I don't know. The biggest question for me is this is LSU where they obviously have very high expectations. You know, they're playing in the Texas bowl. How much does LSU actually care about this game and want to win? Do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, yeah, there's obviously a little less overall drive right now than there normally would be. Absolutely. And also you have to factor into that. It's also the coaching transition too. So it's like, Maybe if like this was still even at Ogeron, yeah, maybe there'd be a little more like, hey, get to seven, you know, like get to winning season, all that stuff. Yeah, that might probably have more. But right now it's like this weirder than ever stretch where you have, you know, an interim coach who's actually the only coach even being kept on as of now that I know of. And so it's just a lot like three or four coaches have already basically been told you can just get out of here or like took other jobs. So half the staff's gone, half still there. You got guys opting out every day. I mean, shoot, about an hour before we recorded, Neil Farrell. Honestly, one of the more underrated players in the country, stud uh, defensive tackle, who probably should have been at least all SEC. He decided to opt out. So, you know, you have that all going on. But I say that to also add, there's also the guys still there are guys with a lot to prove. You know, it's like the guys still playing aren't guys who are like, I'm better than this. You know, they are guys who are fighting for a spot with the next coaching staff, you know, to prove a starting spot, all that stuff. Guys who want to prove themselves and end on a good note, some of those seniors. So I do think you'll see an LSU team that's playing hard, but I also know that Kansas State's going to be facing a depleted one. You know, I mean, <laughs> you have a lot of guys gone. I've gathered there are going to be some academically ineligible guys on top of that. So it's going to be some low numbers for sure. So, but at the yeah. same time, yeah, a bit of both. You did get that quarterback back though, right? Yeah, but he, uh, Miles Brennan is, is, has returned from the portal, but he is not going to play the bowl game. Uh, right. He's already come out saying that. I think in part just because he literally hasn't practiced in like five months and then he'd just be like, you know, coming in for this one game and all that. But so yeah, the quarterback situation, which I'm sure yeah, we'll get so to is going to be fascinating. Yeah. 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 Before we get to that, I did want to ask, you know, how are the players responding to Brad Davis, who is well, short tenure, but he will be the first black coach in LSU history. What do the players think about him? Yeah, I think he's somebody people definitely rally around. I mean, I think there's a little bit of there's a reason they chose him. You know, he's somebody who is simultaneously very hard on the guys, like will actually really get in, you know, get them going, but also somebody they will absolutely rally around people they like Baton Rouge guy, you know, comes all, and then of course, like you said, first black, you know, 
coach to ever coach head coach a game at LSU, which I do, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of players even post about it. Like that does add a little something for them. So I do think Brad Davis is probably a good pick for that role and all that. And it, so I think that will kind of get a little something extra probably. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, let's talk about this quarterback situation. because <laughs> You use the word fascinating. And I think that's the, the perfect word. Yeah. I mean, as I understand it, it's basically they've got a choice between starting their freshman and burning his red shirt or starting to walk on. And apparently they've decided to apply for a waiver, which is not yes. something I've ever heard of anyone doing before. Does that have any chance of succeeding? <laughs> yeah, I, I have not. Let's put it this way. Yeah, like you said, I have not seen any precedent of that that I know of. So I wouldn't count on that happening. But I guess the only benefit the doubt I'll give them is so much of what's happening right now are things we've never seen in college football, right? You know, like the concept of your starting quarterback transferring before the bowl game even happens because we now live in a time of like you transfer as soon as possible and you have a new coaching staff and, you know, even that falls in like where coaches are getting hired earlier and earlier because of, you know, because of the early signing period. And then you have a situation where Nussmeyer's four games were used quite frankly, because of some just, strange choices by Ed Ogeron to like put him in like the final few drives of the central Michigan blowout, you know, just like you put aside from one start, they put him in a lot of times where like, why are you putting him in right now? You're wasting one of his four games. So like I could see a case being made that like these are unprecedented times. Nussmeyer was kind of screwed by an old coach and he's not even there anymore. And, you know, also like, a little bit of a player. I'm not saying I believe this, but there's some people at LSU who have made the case like it's even a player safety thing of like putting a walk-on quarterback <laughs> out there is like putting people at risk. That might be a stretch, but point being, I would not put my money on it, but I could see the case at least. But yeah, so Garrett Nussmeyer is you know the freshman we're discussing, top 100 guy, really talented, really raw, but really talented. Probably have a really impressive you know game if they give him the start. If it's not him, yeah, I think, and if it's not Brennan, I think LSU's going to have some fun with it, for lack of a better term. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do think they have some walk-ons they like. You know, Tavion Falk is a guy who I think could have taken, he's, I believe he's a freshman, and came out of Florida, could have probably gotten some low-level, you know, offers out there. He's a solid, you know, player, and Matt O'Dowd's the other. I mean, I think to some extent they might view it as, hey, it's cool to give them this chance in a bowl game. But I'll, on the other hand, I wonder how much they're going to just like lean into having fun. You know, for example, senior receiver John Jay Kirkland was a, you know, all state superstar wildcat, like, you know, dual threat quarterback in Louisiana in high school. You know, do they let him get some drives and have some fun with it? I would expect them to kind of play a little bit like that. Like, hey, what do we have to lose? But I will also, after everything I just said, say, man, I don't know what to expect at this point. You know, <laughs> six and 16 depleted roster, man, just throw out any rules. Yeah, I mean, and JT, you know, it's not entirely dissimilar to K-State's situation in the Texas yeah. game where we all thought that, you know, Jaron Lewis would play because Will Howard wouldn't want to burn his red shirt. But I guess, I mean, Will was kind of willing to to do that and step into that role. Is there any word on like what Garrett, if he would be willing to burn a red shirt or what his thoughts are? Yeah, I believe they do not want to burn the red shirt. I think that's kind of, yeah. Um, Brad Davis came out and said, I believe last week yeah. that if they don't get the waiver as of now, he will not play. And I'm a little, you know, that's surprising to some extent, but I think it's just like this year was such a mess. Let's not let's not burn a yeah. year of our, our career on, on this nonsense. It's nonsensical year. Sure, sure. Well, at least it's not a situation where like 
you know, the player doesn't want to, but the coaches want him to or something weird like that. Exactly, yeah, that's true. Especially for what essentially is a meaningless exhibition yeah. game. I mean, it's not like, you know. Your words. He's, he's playing for the, you know, the chance to make it to the SEC championship game or something. Like, it really is yeah. essentially a meaningless exhibition game. And there's yeah. a lot of people – no, you're right. And there's a lot of people, like fans, I should clarify, who are arguing, like, he needs to play this because it's basically a tryout for Brian Kelly and, like, try to get a leg up on the job next spring and all that. And, like, I get that. But, like, listen, no matter how good or bad he plays, that's not going to decide who the quarterback is next year. So it's like <laughs> we're talking about somebody's, like, career. And if we're being honest, like, their livelihood, like, are we really going to, like, waste a year of that career just for, like – this hypothetical that maybe it gives them a leg up. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you still got like whole all of spring ball to worry exactly. about getting a leg up. And that's where Kelly's going to figure out whether or not he likes this guy. It, you know, that, like you said, one game is not going to make any difference whatsoever. And we've got a, a similar situation at K state, right? Like with the yeah. offensive coordinator yeah. and people yeah. like, well, it's one game and he's going to be judged. <laughs> and like, no, he's not, nobody's going to care. Yeah, about one game, yeah. unless it just completely falls apart. Right, right. Yeah. And then you know you talked about some of the different things LSU might do, but it, it's not. It doesn't seem like they really have the tools to like just become Army or you know do what K State does. And sometimes where they just don't pass because LSU struggled with the, the running game this year, and especially I mean you had Tyrion Davis Price as a thousand yard rusher, but his production kind of fell off a cliff the last five games. You know. What happened with him, and, and why did Corey Kiner kind of become the number one option at tailback? Yeah, it's the running game as a whole has probably been like I would say if we're just talking pure like Texas knows the most fascinating part of this entire LSU season because it's been <laughs> bizarre. It's LSU, right? It's like the one yeah. school that's like one of the five or ten schools that are like most synonymous with running. I mean, shoot, the old coach Les Miles basically lost his job because he wouldn't stop focusing on a power run game like that was just that's what LSU does and then now to be in a situation the first I'd say five games of the year or so where they just were incapable of running the ball like to the extent that they lost the Auburn game for example because they literally couldn't run the ball and they were so unable to run the ball that they couldn't they had like they had to throw every play so then Auburn was able to drop eight every play in the fourth quarter and just shut them down it's like LSU was so incapable of gaining even three yards on a run that they basically just gave a game away. They absolutely should have won. And then all of a sudden, so after five games of that, you know, struggle, you know, I think some of it was scheme stuff. I think Jake Pete's had a pretty rough year as offensive coordinator. That's no secret. And I think they eventually figured some things out, started figuring out some different schemes that work and help set up the offensive line and all that stuff. And yeah, it led to some really good Ty Davis price games. You know, there's the record breaking 300 yard game against Florida, you know, he ran really well against Kentucky. Even They even ran solid at times against, you know, some of the other teams. But that was like a little flash in the pan. And then right after that, it just kind of came back to earth where the running game, had, like you said, had some good moments. He did eventually get to 1,000 yards. But it's kind of a misleading 1,000 yards. It's like two games where he had like 500 yards and then a lot of, you know, two and a half yard a carry kind of game. So that offensive line has been a real problem all year. I think it's gotten better. It has gotten better the last second half of the season. Credit where it's due. But a lot of problems there. And, you know, it's just it's they're injured and they're young. And honestly, they're on three years now of not really developing the guys behind the starters. So then the guys who step in aren't really good enough. So it's like I don't know if I'm blaming the running back that much. They actually have pretty solid running backs. Ty Davis Price, 
Corey Kiner, like you mentioned, is a really good freshman. Monty Goodwin's another really explosive big play freshman. I wonder how much you'll see those two take a leap in bowl practices. So the running back talent solved that that offensive line has problems. All right. So, yeah, I mean, LSU, though, it seemed they obviously had a strong passing game. And so it's a couple of young guys, a couple of freshmen kind of doing it, catching the ball. But, you know, who have been the highlights of this receiving game this year? Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating bowl game in that sense, just because LSU's receiving core is simultaneously one of its greatest strengths. And in the last like month or two months, really, it has also lost the most guys. And, you know, Keyshawn Butte was honestly probably going to be the front runner for the Blitnikoff after the first six games until or five games until he, you know, broke his ankle at the Kentucky game, making an acrobatic catch. So he's been gone the rest of the year. And then after that, yeah, but you know, Trey Jenkins is another really solid veteran. Trey Palmer's had some nice moments. But other than that, basically, four freshmen just kind of became the, the best receivers, really, if I'm being honest. You know, uh, Jack Besh leads the team in catches, and he's just kind of a really good, solid, you know, possession kind of, you know, he's, he's athletic, he's fast, but very possession kind of third down target type guy who can make some big plays. And then Malik Neighbors is another freshman who was injured the first few weeks and then broke out as the year went on and clearly looks like a guy who's going to be, you know, eventually an all-SEC star. And then, you know, Brian Thomas is another really athletic, really physical option who I think is really, you know, I think is going to be really good eventually. And the funny thing is Deion Smith arguably looked like the best one of all of them at times this season. He, he had some fantastic games, especially Central Michigan game comes to mind. And then now, now he just uh, went to the portal about a week or two ago. So that's a big loss. But at the same time, they have so much. And um, there's another one I'm blanking on. Coy Moore also entered the portal. But they're so deep there that it's not necessarily they're receiving. You know, it's not going to be a, a problem now, but maybe it's not as deep as it once was. But that starting lineup will probably be some variation of, yeah, you know, Dre Jenkins, Jack Besh, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, and that's still a really good group. So I would say with all those guys gone, you know, Butte and them, it's not as polished of a receiving core. You know, it's not as experienced. Maybe some of the day-to-day consistency is not as good, but it's a really talented physical group that can, you know, create some mismatches. So, you know, a lot of highs and lows, I guess I'd say, with that group right now. Mm-hmm. And JT, I'm sure you'd agree. I think especially about us who has a competent quarterback, that would be probably be the area where K-State's the most worried. The guy for, that opted out for Kansas State was T. Denson, just a backup cornerback. Not that big a deal, but you know, how do you think the, the secondary looks against that LSU receiving core? You know that, like you said, they're pretty young. So you know, I, I actually feel pretty good about who K State's got at corner and defensive back. Like there's a lot of experience among that back end. So you know, they they've seen a lot of really good wide receivers in the big 12. There's some, you know, future NFL players that they've gone up against all year and done a pretty good job with it. So I'm less worried about the secondary and more worried about how quickly, you know, the defensive line can get pressure on who's ever a quarterback to disrupt those throws. That's when they've done the best. That's when the secondaries look the best is when they don't have to cover for very long because the the quarterbacks rushed Mm -hmm. and either get sacked or throws, you know, way off target because of the pressure. Yeah, yeah, definitely would be good to be able to set the tone early for the KSA defense. So we'll see. Well, right, I think we want to talk a little bit about the LSU defense as well. But first, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. So we get back, and it looks like, I mean, LSU, the front seven seems to be the real strength of this defense. Obviously, going up against a consensus first team All American now in Deuce Vaughn. You know, how do you think they'll handle a short, elusive running back? Yeah, it's a really kind of like the receiver room in some ways it's like really deep but also has taken some losses but there's some especially you know but still a really talented group right where you have you know neil farrell's opted out now i believe 
you know, another guy to, you know, Andre Anthony, really good senior defensive end. He's been out for the season since like week three or four. You know, Ollie Gay, another really good, you know, pro quality defensive end. He's out for the year. The big one to follow for me will be Mason Smith, the five star, like number one D lineman in the country coming in as a freshman. And just, you know, when he played those first five or six games, looked like a future star. You know, he, he really looks like he was probably one of the best freshmen in the entire country this year. He's been banged up for the last few weeks, but he was kind of iffy. He was like 50-50 for the AM game in the season and missed it. That would make me think he probably could be healthy unless he kind of decides not to play the bowl, which is possible. We haven't gotten much word on that. But I think if he's back, that's huge for them. He's a guy who is so talented he could play D tackle and D end. You know, he's one of those kind of like hybrid guys where he's, you know, and then He's like 6'6", 300. He's a freak. But other than that, yeah, you got Sony Fanua is a really good, you know, kind of run stopper. B.J. Ojolari is one of the best young pass rushers in the SEC as a sophomore. They have a lot of talent there. Now, and Jaqueline Roy is another really good sophomore D-tackle. The thing is, with Farrell gone and others gone, I do wonder about their ability to stop the run. Now, they've been better because so, halfway through the season, they the first half of the season, they probably ran, you know, your classic, you know, four three, but really, you know, it's nickel, right? So it's four two five most of the time, and it wasn't going well. And then basically, once Ogeron was fired, pretty much, Jaronte Jones, the defensive coordinator, kind of got more freedom to do what he really wanted. And also, their secondary was so depleted they had no choice, and they kind of pivoted to basically playing like a true four three, like three four hybrid, but true front seven in the box, and it unlocked everything. They started pressuring more, blitzing more, and the defense went from bottom of the sec in like every metric to top five in the sec in every metric and that's with everyone out you know everyone was out and they got better at defense so i said to say i'm fascinated to what you're saying with that matchup because in a lot of ways with these guys gone i'm like man i think Kansas state's run game could really cause some problems for them considering they're losing that talent because their run defense has been hit or miss at times but i say every time they've lost guys they've weirdly gotten better and i think ever since they made that schematic change it just completely altered this defense. They held Bama to like one yard per carry. So it could go either way, but you got to probably give the edge to Kansas State there. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll see. And JT, take a quick tangent here. You know, he was talking about the pass rush, and it sounds like that'll be a good test and maybe kind of see what this offensive line can do as pass protection. Because I feel like the big news for Kansas State the last week since we did our last podcast was Adrian Martinez transferred to Kansas State. And I, I subscribe to the theory that Martinez is going to be a, a better passer and a better decision maker when he's behind a better offensive line. Like, do you see that happening, JT? I, I do. Uh, I agree with that. It's, I mean, when you're not getting chased, you know, out of the pocket every play, you know, you have more time to make a better decision and not throw the ball away. You're not rushed. You're not, you know, you just a lot more time to read and make decisions. And we saw, I mean, even even Skylar Thompson, like his his throwing improved this season when he had more time, when he wasn't feeling like he had to rush and get out of the pocket and try to make something happen with his legs, partly because he couldn't, but you know, he, he didn't have to. And once he realized he could sit there in the pocket and actually make his progressions, he looked a lot right. better and, right. and having a, a solid O-line is, is really helpful. So it'll be nice to see how this O-line stacks up against, you know, uh, you know, quote unquote, vaunted SEC defensive line and, and yeah. what that looks like. Yeah. Well, then on the flip side of that, though, you know, we saw Skyler did finally get pressured some more in the Baylor game and kind of reverted back to some of his old tendencies. So I'm sure that OSU saw that tape and might try to exploit that. Uh, it'll be interesting. 
Yeah, and, and then the misuse of everybody against Texas. And so, you know, <laughs> I have to wonder how much of that was offensive play calling and how much of that was guys, you know, just not playing very well. I think they played okay against Baylor, but yeah, there's definitely some times where it was like, what are we doing? Why is he not getting the ball out faster? What's what's going on? You know, why is he getting hit so much? This That hasn't happened in a while. So those last couple of games were definitely head scratchers on the offensive side. Yeah, yeah. but to, to get back to LSU's defense, I mean, you can't talk about this group without talking about Damone Clark, Buckus Ward, finalist linebacker. Brody, you wrote a great story about him. Can you give us kind of the cliff notes of that with his journey? It's been up and down and what he brings to this defense. Yeah, he is a pretty cool story just because he was kind of supposed to be like the next in line, right? Uh, after, you know, Devin White, Quan Alexander, all these guys, uh, then Patrick Queen after him. It was just kind of year after year they had these star inside linebackers, and he was physically the best of all of them. He was like 6'3", 230, but runs like he's huge and just runs like a gazelle. It's wild. So I think it was just – and he was really talented as a sophomore on that. Like he's kind of a backup on that title team. And then he, so it came out 2020, was given that prestigious number 18, kind of like the leader number. Everyone thought he was going to be a superstar and had a really bad year. Like there's no other way around it. He was not very good. He was on his heels a lot, timid, seemed lost. And I think a lot of that in hindsight goes back to Bo Pelini's defensive coordinator and how disastrous that that whole campaign was and, and how everybody seemed lost. I mean, I had one source, one coach on staff basically put it as, by the time they took over in 2021, it was like the linebackers were like beaten puppies. Like they were just kind of damaged goods. So I think a lot of us going into the season expected Damone Clark to kind of stay as, you know, he wasn't going to keep the job. He was so bad last year and all that. And I think the staff was like, no, we can fix him. He's just too talented. And Blake Baker, who's just got let go, unfortunately, but as linebackers coach at LSU, he kind of took him under his wing and fixed him. And man, Damone Clark is just a different player. He is he was a pretty, I believe, the runner-up for the Buckets Award and was kind of shockingly left off every All-American team, which was kind of wild, including the athletics, which really surprised me. But he is he's the goods. I mean, he he's a sideline to sideline physical guy who's a talented pass rusher. He is a somebody who will get in people's faces a little bit and you know he, he makes life very difficult for any kind of sideline to sideline offense just because he can track you know <laughs> like if you try to run a stretch run game you will probably get there so he is a a real scary guy to watch for sure yeah jt can you imagine a team's best defensive player being left off of all american list after <laughs> no not at all i couldn't <laughs> it's never happened ever not especially not this year yeah felix man <laughs> so ridiculous yeah I mean, they only they said he only had 11 sacks, even though we all know he had 13, but it's fine. Well, what about uh, all the first fumbles? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, we won't, we won't get into that too much. But, um, another name that, that was fun for me to see on the LSU starting lineup is Micah Baskerville. So I got to see him play at Evangel. Covered him oh, wow. Yeah. I know he, he was always a beast, but, kind of you know, what's his progression been like? Yeah, you know, he's the definition of a guy who knows what he's doing. You know, he's smart. He might not have the physical gifts of Damone Clark, for example, or some other guys, but he's just really reliable. He's really smart, knows the scheme, knows how to diagnose a play. To some extent, he's he's helped, you know, Clark there a good amount in his development. So, you know, he's not going to, you know, you're not going to watch tape and be blown away by Michael Baskerville. But it was noticeable that, you know, he has been the guy the last year and a half who kind of made his way into that lineup, right, as they've gotten better on defense. So, yeah, he's he's 
again, not somebody like can't say to be like, watch out for him, but definitely a really <laughs> reliable, solid SEC linebacker. Yeah, he seemed like a good kid. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I guess you know the other thing, Kansas State. We always like to think that K State fans travel pretty well. LSU obviously going to be closer, but you know, like we talked about, the Texas Bowl not exactly where they expect to end up. What do you think the LSU crowd will be like? Yeah, it's such a good question. I'm because yeah, I would say LSU is probably top two or three fan bases in the country in terms of traveling. So normally, I mean, shoot, they travel to Oregon for baseball, SEC baseball. You know, like they are, you know, for the regional, they are obsessive travelers because they love a party more than anyone. So if they're like, hey, an excuse to go watch football and go tailgate somewhere sold so normally i would expect it to be just packed and also houston does have a large lsu population already like you said it's a what a four hour drive i do think it'll be really good like i think it will be probably more of a home game for lsu to some extent they're like there's gonna be a limit right it's not gonna be just crazy you know lsu fans just because yeah like i don't know how much people are really you know three days after new year's like gonna be like i really gotta go see the texas bowl so Give us you like probably a little bit of an advantage in that sense, but yeah, not nothing over the top. Yeah, well, then you know I gotta ask about that LSU, and we talked about this with K State too. They're hosting Texas in basketball. LSU is hosting Kentucky that night. Yeah, you know K State moved their game up an hour early. I think LSU was already scheduled to play at six. Has yeah. there been any grumbling about that? You think anybody? Well, basketball it's football? funny you mentioned that because it's actually so the past like five years there's been this big like debate over whether Dale Brown, the old you know legendary coach here should have the court named after him and it's been this long fight they finally passes this fall he's gonna get the court named after him and the night that it's happening is the night of the bowl game so there is some frustration that dale brown's you know commemorative night and all that is going to be a night where like most people aren't even there but i don't think they're moving it from what i've heard but i know there's some angry people well that's tough because i know lsu fans don't show up you're gonna have that arena full of blue true that's a good point so it could be a little awkward (laughs) yeah interesting so yeah obviously you know we're talking LSU we got to talk about Brian Kelly first of all do you think he's going to keep his Louisiana accent (laughs) no comment on that one man no comment (laughs) I'm avoiding that one at all costs (laughs) fair enough but you know what does the future look like for LSU I know you wrote a lot about that recruiting class they just brought in it's obviously a lot of excitement you think he's a good fit yeah i think fit is going to be interesting right i don't know i think there's a little to some extent a little too much is probably being made of like cultural fit it's like man you know how to run a program you know how to run a program and in some ways like going from notre dame to lsu i know it's a huge adjustment going from recruiting in notre dame to recruiting in the wild world of the sec but on the other hand like recruiting notre dame's hard because it's like it's a national job like there's no built-in like area you're looking at it's like national and you got to find guys that academically are going to meet your standards and like to some extent it like i mean it's not off to a great start but it's not quite his fault louisiana lsu is a little simpler just because you have so much talent in your backyard you know exactly where you're focusing you can try to put that fence around it so in some ways like i think brian kelly's bugaboo as a recruiter is just that like he's not that like invested maybe in all of it but like if anything he might be a better recruiter as crazy as the sounds at lsu where it's like because he's a good recruiter when he wants to recruit it's just how much does he want to he could actually kind of succeed there where it's like hey man this is you got to go up the street to baton rouge you got to go to lafayette and like you can hit that like that might be a little simpler i do think you already saw him lose some battles this week and again not sure it's necessarily his fault you know like they were guys they were falling behind on before a hire was made so it's not really on his shoulders i don't think but long-winded way of getting to my actual answer 
I think he is what LSU needs right now. It's off to a rough start. They've gotten turned down on coordinators on both sides of the ball multiple times already. That's not good. They've kind of nudged out some like revered longtime assistants. But that is also why he was hired, right? Is a program with a troubled culture the last few years that has really been a big cause of the downfall of Ed Ogeron. They, quite frankly, if I'm being honest, it's a team that's won championships with its last two coaches, but the last 17 years under Miles and Ogeron haven't exactly been well-oiled machines. They're messy. They're, they make mistakes. They're just kind of not exactly well-run, you know? And I do think there's an element to, like, LSU, really, Saban's the only coach who really, like, tapped into what LSU can be. LSU is, to some extent, still an untapped resource. Like, it really is. They've won three titles with the last three coaches, and they're normally messy. So I think if you finally get a coach in Kelly who knows how to run a program, who's going to reduce some of that, I don't know, lack of discipline and those kind of things, and and really gets a system going and really, I don't know, just doesn't make the stupid mistakes that so many have made, <laughs> I do think, yeah, you could really get this thing going. I really do. But there's a lot to overcome. SEC recruiting for sure. You know, how much is he going to dive into that stuff? Those are very real concerns. So my overall answer, I think Brian Kelly is going to win a lot of football games here. The question is, is he the kind of coach who can get you a title? I don't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, we saw in Lawrence, some of the dysfunction that Les Miles can bring to a program. Oh yes. Yeah. (laughs) Even in, when I lived in Shreveport though, and Les Miles was there, like some of the high school coaches around were, were not big fans us (laughs) yeah anyway speaking of KU actually I wanted to ask you something and I think I know the answer to this but I just kind of want to hear you say KU had got had been Louisiana done some recruiting there got a few recruits uh are any of those guys getting looks from KU or from LSU is KU beating LSU in any recruiting battles I will not lie to you I don't really know actually I don't have a a great answer there yeah (laughs) okay well I've got seen this now but yeah. Okay. So I guess it's uh, prediction time, Brody. What do you think? I know there's still a lot of uncertainty, so it's kind yeah. of hard. But... No, my gut just goes to Eileen, Kansas State, just because I know LSU still like just has so much talent, and they are going to be probably playing hard and all that stuff. And and to some extent, they might be they've proven to be a better football team once they've kind of let the coaches just do what they want and just let them go loose. But I just kind of run back to. Kansas State has more of its team. They're better run. They are more disciplined. I just kind of lean Kansas State in this one. JT, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. Like, you know, not to to try to jinx anybody, but K-State definitely feels like, you know, obviously they're a more complete team right now just because they are. But, uh, you know, with the solid coaching staff in place, yeah, we're missing two guys on offense. But essentially – uh, you know, a complete solid coaching staff in place, you know, all, you know, the the head coach that's going to be here next year is running the bowl practices. I mean, like, like there's zero questions on that kind of standpoint from K-State and we've only lost, you know, a couple contributors even to the transfer portal. We haven't lost any starters at the moment. So it's all good news right now. And uh, it just feels like, yeah, K-State is, is in position where, where they should win this game. And JT, I know you're a basketball season ticket holder, so maybe you can give folks some advice. Uh, what's your plan for that night? Are you going to the game? Yeah, so it's going to be a mess. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be either in or direct the pet band uh, at the game. Oh, yeah. So be there early and, and, of course, have to stay a little late. And so it'll be like the Liberty Bowl in 20, 
what we decided that was 2015 and i ended up like mm-hmm. missing the start of the game and but uh <laughs> yeah i'll probably just head home or head to aggieville somewhere and try to find a uh place i, I did just see k-state athletics before we recorded this k-state athletics put out a thing where ticket holders to the uh to the texas game can get a uh a five dollar ticket into the new shamrock zone which is their that that kind of bridge zone there between the south end zone and the that north okay. end of Bramlage for a a bowl game watch party. So they'll have it up on big screens. And, okay, that's good. Uh, and I assume there'll be you know food and stuff. But it was I just saw that earlier today out here on Monday. So okay, yeah, I was hoping they do something. That's good. That's good. All right, sounds good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun, Brody. I know you know people can read your stuff on the Athletic. Hopefully, they have a subscription already. If they don't, <laughs> get one. Uh, any any holiday specials coming up? Or? I'm not too. Sh- I, I think we went through our Black Friday one, but trythe.athletic.com/slash/hold-that-podcast. Our podcast link. There's usually some kind of deal there, and if there's not, you know, I mean, it's basically the price of a cup of coffee a month. So I recommend. Absolutely. It. Yeah, it's well, been worth it. it. It's definitely sure. been worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah. So, and you can follow Brody on Twitter at Brody A Miller. Uh, you have any stories in particular you want to plug? Anything upcoming? I won't lie to you. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I have a story coming up on the new strength coach next week, but I don't think your listeners have much reason to read that. So, no, nothing in particular, man. I'll be honest. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. A lot of fun. Take care. Luke Thompson, signing off.